Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week, we are going to talk to Steve Herbeck, who we've talked to on this podcast numerous times. Quite honestly, Brad, I mean, as much as I love talking to Herbie, he wasn't the actual guest. Like yesterday, we were supposed to record, and then we had an issue lining things up. And so here we are. Hopefully, we can return to that guest that we were going to have on this week. But we had to turn to Herbie. And of course, you know, he's willing to answer the phone all the time, Brad. You know that. I mean, he, and he's always anxious to talk musky fishing. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And <laughs> the beauty of Herbie is, is that he's a plethora of knowledge. And I would encourage, and I have for many years, if you have not spent a day in the boat with Herbie, you need to. And the reason you need to is he will blow your mind with different thoughts and process. And honestly, I mean, he's an open book. If you book him on a trip, he will give you everything that you want. That's for sure. Can't guarantee muskies, but I'll tell you what, if you're going to get one on that particular day, it, it'll probably be with Herbie. And not only that, but the knowledge and the history and everything else that he's done, it's truly, truly incredible. So it's awesome to have him as a guest. Yeah, definitely. Always look forward to having him on. You know, whenever we get done with an episode, Brad, we're always thinking, well, that could have went on for another hour, but in an effort to try to actually get an episode out, because this is... About as under the gun as we typically get. It's, you know, mid-morning on Tuesday, and this episode comes out tomorrow. So we don't typically push it this far. Yeah, that's for sure, Jeff. But, you know, when you when you talk to somebody with the knowledge base that Herbie provides, it, it's just so easy, right? I mean, you can go down a path, and all of a sudden you're going in-depth on so many different topics. So it's always fun. Yes, definitely. Always enjoyment. And, you know, you know, Brad, we haven't really talked about it because we haven't been in the studio since the show, but we want to thank everybody for coming out and, and visiting us at the Chicago Muskie Expo. Of course, it was always fun. And, uh, you know, I'll speak for Brad and Carrie. They want to thank you as well. And it looks like we'll do it again in Milwaukee. It's actually, we call it the Milwaukee Show, much like the the, uh, the Chicago Show. We're not in Chicago, but it's the Chicago Show. We're actually in St. Charles. And then in the Milwaukee Show, we're not in Milwaukee either. We're actually about a half an hour north of there from where it used to be because it used to be right at the you know the fair park right there in milwaukee and now we're up at west bend at the washington county fair park brad maybe you know the dates i want to say it's 16th 17th 18th you'd think you'd think by now i'd be a you know a reasonable host on this podcast and i know this information but that's my guess you can you confirm brad that's a really good question i know that when this comes out tomorrow morning Two weeks from now, I'll be leaving to go get prepared for that show. So let's look here. We uh, Yeah, it looks, that's what it is, It's I the believe. 16th, 17th, and 18th yes. of February. Yeah. So looking forward to it. I'm looking, you know, the cool thing about shows is we get to see the people that we maybe haven't seen for a whole year, right? So it's always good to visit with everybody. Hopefully they come and, and visit us in the booth and uh, talk to us about the podcast and so on. And then we're going to be recording another podcast at that show as well, Jeff. Yes, because it looks like we have the similar hours. I'm on the website right now. It looks like we're going to be there Friday, February 16th from 2 to 8, Saturday, February 17th from 9 to 5, and Sunday, February 18th from 9 to 2. So I would say we'll probably be about that 7 o'clock-ish time, time range, 6.45, 7 o'clock. If you have something you want us to cover on the podcast, stop out. I have no idea who we'll have for you know, round table participants, but yeah, we never have any issues trying to find somebody. It's usually, uh, you, you don't want to have too many quite honestly, because sometimes 
things get a little bit repetitive. Maybe next time we'll only have three of the three of the guides answer the question instead of doing all five or whatever. Because sometimes, you know, a lot of guys steal everybody's answers. The first guy through, he gets he he's got the easiest way, right? Yeah, unfortunately, it does work that way, Jeff. So we'll have to do a better job managing that. But you know, the premise on this whole thing is we want the listeners to come be involved in this and come with some questions. It definitely helps the process and uh, we can keep the ball rolling a little bit better. At a minimum, shoot us a question before the, you know, before the show. If you, you know, if you, if you're not going to make it and, you know, some of, some of you just aren't going to make it, you know, make sure that you, you know, use social media and shoot us a few questions. I know last time we answered a question from the very first question we asked. I can't remember what it was right now, but that came from a, you know, a listener sent us a message on it. So if you want questions covered, certainly you know, send us those and we'll, and we'll definitely uh, take those. But Brad, I think, you know, we got to we gotta do our, our, our one minute intro or uh, infomercial. If you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We're loaded up with as much gear probably as we've seen in a long time. I say that a lot, but that's kind of the case. If you're looking for hats, we have tons of them and we got the sweet AFCO gear. Hopefully, I'll have that online here shortly. We are restocking on it as well because we definitely moved some product over at the Milwaukee show. So if you want, you can swing into Milwaukee. We're definitely going to be loaded back up with it and pick one up there. If anything else, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Gear up for the upcoming season. It'll be here before you know it. And Brad, I'll let you talk about Muskie Mayhem Tackle here for a minute. Yeah, for sure. You know, you can check out MuskieMayhemTackle.com and you can order right from us directly. In most cases, I know that you probably want other baits as well, and Team Rhino is a great solution for that. But you can build a custom right on our website, and I'm hoping and looking forward to seeing a ton of people at the Milwaukee show. So it should be a good time, Jeff. Definitely. And, Brad, I'll give you one last thing because you didn't talk about it. Mayhem's 10,000 casts. If people want to check it out, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, for sure. You know, Mayhem's 10,000 casts, we're almost at the midpoint of the season. We air the first quarter of uh, every year. 13 episodes we will be coming out with after this podcast it'll be number six if i'm not mistaken and so we're almost at that midway point you can check us out on kotv channel right on any roku device or you can go to kotvchannel.com and watch it on any mobile device and that airs live at 8 a.m on saturdays and then periodically throughout the day it comes back up as well live and then it's available for streaming on Monday morning on the KOTV network. But we also airing at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning on YouTube at Mayhem 10,000 Cast. So go check it out. Let us know what you think. Leave us some comments. You can reach out to us on social media. Love to answer any questions that you have. And we appreciate the support. All right. Well, let's uh, dial up our conversation we just had with uh, Steve Herbeck. All right, our guest this week is Steve Herbeck, and we've had Herbie, Herbie on, I don't know, how many times, Herbie? What do you think? Eight, seven, five? How many times have you been on this podcast? It's been, a while. it's been a while, though. This is, I'm glad we got together. It's always fun. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you, before we get rolling in this, why don't you talk about what your schedule is like for this upcoming season? Because I would imagine since it's late January, you may have some openings for people to come fishing with you this year. Yeah, I got a few left here and there, you know. Since I kind of changed my routine, you know, after when COVID there and I had my health problems and stuff, I've kind of enjoyed, you know, what I've been doing. I, I move around a lot. I've been doing it a long time. And, you know, and there's something to be said about 
you know, really know your water and all this and that, but it can get kind of boring too, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I've been fishing from southern Wisconsin to central Wisconsin to northern Wisconsin, Canada, and back through the season. So it, it always keeps me on my toes, and it's it's been a lot of fun. And keeps me on my toes, and always the juices flowing and the mind working. And God, Lord, Lord knows at my age, I need to keep it working, you know. So that's kind of, you know, what I've been doing the last, I think, about three, four years now. And, and uh, it also gives, you know, I think opens up my clientele to people that could go to Canada, that really like northern Wisconsin, that like the day, the, the day trip availability to southern and central Wisconsin. So it kind of opens up, you know, more opportunities for different people to get to share the boat with me, too. So that's kind of what my my game plan has been the last few years. And, and moving forward, I'm having fun with it. I'm tackling some new challenges here and there with waters and stuff, which always makes things interesting. And and so that's kind of been my game plan. And it's about where it is this year. And I'm going to be down in southern and central Wisconsin uh, through May into the first week of June. But I'm not going to spend as much time in June, I'm going to head north in Nevada's County for June until I head to Canada the first part of July. I just get a lot, a lot of people that really want to fish northern Wisconsin and, and Madison and the rivers. And I've had some problems with the rivers the last couple of years, you know, after as you get into the June because of low water and, and not that the fish leave are there, but it's just. It's not as fun for me as when you got good water flow and you got eddies and and currents and and readable water and and stuff like that. Because my part of the river, the southern part of the river, the Wisconsin that I fish is is a lot flatter and not near as many deep holes as 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 the northern you know part of the rivers in Mississippi and Wisconsin, Upper Wisconsin and stuff. So once it gets really low, you know, it's it's kind of a chore. So I'm going to spend it when it's, I'm, going to, I'm kind of getting windows of, of opportunity on, on these different waters nailed down a lot better of when I want to be where and so on and so forth. So I'll be heading to Canada in July and August, and then I'll be back in, in central northern Wisconsin in September and back to Canada in October and uh, back to Vilas for the first part of November until deer season and then day after Thanksgiving till about the 10th of December I'll, I'll be back you know where I for sure got water and some fisheries I've been fishing that I'm enjoying fishing so I'm kind of moving around a lot that's been my game plan and usually about two two weeks at a time except in Canada where I'm there you know uh, six weeks at a time so you know it's been a lot of fun and I get like I said I get fish with a lot of different people that I, I, I wouldn't normally get to if I was just in Canada or, or just in Bias County or just in southern Wisconsin. All right, so Herbie, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they go about doing that? Like, what's the best way to contact you to get on your books for this year? Well, you can give me a call, 608-515-3416, anytime, even if you just want to talk fishing. I mean, that's kind of what I've done all my life. I enjoy it. I enjoy helping people. Um, my Facebook Obviously, you can message me. 
Steve Herbeck. And then my my website, steveherbeckfishing.com, has all the contact information. I'm pretty easy to find, actually. So if guys see you on the water and they feel like giving you a phone call, is that something that they can do, Herbie? Because I know of somebody that's done that before. It did bother me, did it? <laughs> no, huh? not at all. Oh, no. No, it didn't bother me a bit. You know, as long as if I'm fishing something, somebody just gives me a little room till I leave. And if it's good, a lot of times I got other things on my mind, I'll even tell people, come over and try this. I'm going to go to the other end of the lake, give it a try. You know, it doesn't bother me. I'm not in a tournament when I'm fishing. I, you know, I've always got other things on my mind I want to try and, and got ideas of what to do. And there's always similar patterns in other sections of the lake. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes being that fish near as much as what everybody wants to fish either, you know? All right. Well, Brad, I'm going to let you jump in here because you're the one that actually did the homework on this one. I know it probably wasn't a lot of homework, but you had some topics you wanted to discuss. So let's just get the conversation rolling. I'll let you hit it off. Well, the first thing I'd like to say, Jeff, is, you know, Herbie brought up a point. He's talking about low water the last couple of years. And <laughs> with the lack of I snowfall, I, I don't think it's going to be any better this year unless some drastic changes. Man. Yeah, that's, what I, that's what I was going to say, Herbie. I, I don't know about your neck of the woods, but over here, during Christmas, we did get a bunch of rain up in my neck of the woods. But uh, since then... We have very little snowfall, and honestly, most of our snow is almost gone after the last couple of days here. So, low water is probably going to be an issue this year unless you, unless something majorly changes, like you just said. And let's talk a little bit about that first before we get into the pressured waters. Okay. Well, so, yeah, go ahead. You had an idea where you wanted to lead this. So, I guess, you know, one of the things that I, I would consider and think about, you know, probably going into, unless something majorly changes, going into the season, this coming season, we're probably going to be dealing with lower water than we have in many, many years. What would you be your approach, Kirby? Well, first of all, from now to spring, I'm going to pray for rain. Because <laughs> let's face it, snow is an issue, but it takes a lot of snow to make an inch of rain. So, I mean, there's still time to salvage this if mother nature gives us what we need and that's you know a good a lot of good spring rains although you know i don't i, I really don't know what the long-range forecast is you know i mean the moisture has been at a premium for sure for a while so my 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 first approach you know is obviously is get out and and see where the water levels were i'm not i'm, I'm gonna Spawning areas are going to be sometimes on some lakes are going to be more limited for early in the season. You know, you'll have to, you'll have to look at that scenario, you know? So what I hate worst of all is going to someplace, not thinking about it and, and then, and getting there and seeing, you know, what you used to fishing is, is not happening. It's not there. The option isn't there. So you need to do some pre, pre openers, scouting for sure you know what i'm saying and and use your head a little bit usually no matter what hopefully my early season you know i got some deep lakes i'm fishing a lot of it depends too is how is the spring going to unfold is it going to be like turn into a very mild early spring or are we going to all of a sudden thinking that's what's going to happen, like what's happened in the last few years several times, and then all of a sudden cold weather hangs on, hangs on, hangs on. You know, those play a major 
part in how you approach the season. You know what I'm saying? Big time. Uh, I hate long, cold springs. They seem to kind of, no matter if you have high water or low water, low water is not a kiss of death to me except in certain fisheries. To be honest, some of my best years and best big fish years have been low water years over time, over history. When I've encountered some of the biggest fish and numbers of big fish, Actually, on Eagle, I look forward to low water use. So, you know, it can it can go either way. You know what I'm saying? If you if you're fishing shallow, weedy lakes, and the water's really low, and you got a real early, really a really early spring, well, you know that can certainly change where you're going to want to be. You know, you're fishing more bigger, deeper lakes too, aren't you? In the spring, even. See, I I don't normally always look for that scenario in the spring of the dark, shallow, first-to-bite types of lakes. You know, it's an option, and it's it's one that works. But unfortunately, a lot of those types of fisheries don't have the kind of fish that I really want to target at the time I got left in this sport. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of look with, for those characteristics within the bigger systems. And, and look at it that way rather than going to the puddles. That obviously, are, if you want to put fish in the boat, and you know that that that's definitely a, a thing that works. And get out the small bucktails and and the minnow baits and 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 the smaller glide baits and and go to town. You're going to put fish in the boat, but unfortunately, you know it's not always the best way to put a big fish in the boat and and for some people that's not the game anyway but for me it is so i tend to look for those characteristics in a big system that would gravitate bigger fish into smaller areas of that big system because of you know the, the that and 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 that's only many times a very short period of time that that scenario occurs on those types of systems but it's also very usually overlooked by most people most people think your bigger deeper lakes are late summer fall fisheries and to be honest god darn back in the day the deep deep lakes in northern wisconsin the trout lakes the white sands the pest those are those were my go-tos early in, and and on eagle some of my big bigger fish come from the deeper, cooler part of the lake. But like I said, looking for that very smaller areas of the warmest water within those systems. I think there's another component to this too. You know, with the lack of snow that we've had and the cover on top of the lake, we don't have the normal 20-some inches of ice at this point. There's going to be a lot of light penetration as well. And I think that, you know, in my neck of the woods anyway, it definitely seems to salvage the the weed growth. A lot of those weeds don't die over winter because they are getting that light penetration. So that could be a big factor as well. You're going to have some flush green weed beds early in the season where the last couple of years with the amount of snowfall and the amount of ice that we had, it was you know pretty much a dark lake all winter. And you start with zero weeds to begin the season. Yeah, that's a really good point. Especially... You know, especially your deeper type of weeds versus your junk weeds. You know, your your deeper coontail and sandgrass that really are 
you know, that if, if, if they stay green and start developing earlier in the season, really good. I mean, those are, you know, a lot of you overlook big fish magnets too. And if, if you know where those types of pockets are and, and you've had good light penetration, most definitely, definitely that's a component that that's a plus positive for, you know, there's always pluses and minuses in every scenario, right? Kirby, I, I'm just kind of going back, you know, and this is all by thoughts. We've talked about this before. I don't keep very good records of what I'm doing every year and what those fish are doing with that. But, you know, looking back and just basing everything off memory, it really seems like a lot of my deeper break lines, when we don't have a lot of snow cover and we don't have a lot of ice, we have an earlier spring, some of those weeds start to kick off. I don't even necessarily concentrate in the open water as much. Now I'm looking at secondary breaks where those weeds are already there. And I have had some of the most phenomenal fishing for big fish. And like you, I'm looking for the opportunity of big fish. I, I would rather catch a 45 or larger than I would a 34. So that's my mentality. If you're looking for numbers, it's a, it's a whole different game, but let's talk about big fish. And the beauty of it is, is I'm kind of excited. I mean, we have no idea. We've still got quite a few months left of winter, right? So if you're in the Midwest, we, you don't know what's going to happen. It could snow in April. It could snow in May. So we just deal with it, how it kind of unravels. But I will say, you know, the way things are looking, I do think we're going to have that weed growth still earlier than normal, even if we get blasted with some snow here coming up. So Definitely something to consider is, is looking at the secondary break. You know, maybe you're transitioning from the spawning area, but definitely something to take uh, consideration. Well, I think, too, you know, you bringing up that point, that was very much the scenario for me in June, early June this year, when I, when I suspected or, or was anticipating targeting a big fish open water bite and because of, you know, and I see it happen a lot with late cold springs, you know, not necessarily late ice outs, but late long lingering cold water springs, that that's a hard thing for, that doesn't set up real well sometimes, you know, and, and, and I ran into that and the lake I was on had amazing deep weed lines early the bigger fish that I encountered were all almost exactly in that soil that you just described. I had very, very little luck with what I thought was going to be my ace in the hole. And I had to go back to, you know, doing what you just talked about, those deep emerging weed lines that were way ahead for me. And the lake that I was, I was very clear and, 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 and the, the weed growth, actually, the weed growth on on the lake was amazing early, and it set things up for me. And it, you know, I bounced. I I wasted a few days being stubborn, thinking what I wanted to do, and then sure enough, you know, once you start thinking about things a little bit, or or you get sick of not being successful, and I always usually my opinion is is if what's to work is and I usually do the exact opposite as my first choice in, in trying to figure it out. That's exactly what was happening for me last year in June. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%, Herbie. I know I, I tried to push it, right? The month of June, I have a lot of people that want to just troll. And, and some of that older clients that 
and you can't necessarily cast all day anymore. And the success that I've had in the open water trolling, I mean, it's always been very positive, right? Well, the last two seasons, I've kind of gotten my teeth kicked in a little bit. And what I found myself doing, because I could only troll with a lot of these clients, was I was almost structure trolling on that secondary break. So you don't only have to cast that. You can actually get it done trolling, too, but you need to slide in and utilize where those fish are actually active. Exactly what I was doing. I mean, we caught some fish casting for sure, but most, most, more, more of the smaller fish over the tops of the edges and stuff, and and the bigger fish that we did catch, we caught trolling right on them on them deep, steep weed weed lines, and you know, and I didn't do as well as I thought I was going to do on blades and stuff. It was mostly stuff like big games and and shallow running minnow baits. I was only running them down five six feet, you know, but right off that. That that edge of you know eight to tw- eight to say eighteen, but most of them are right on the edge of the weeds. And those uh, real buoyant balsa big games, the, the 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 original balsa baits were very very good for me. And that's basically what I was doing. Exactly what you just said. I was trolling the weed lines, you know, fairly short lines, doing a lot of covering the the corners and the tips, and you know pulling up, you know. Pulling, pulling in a lot, catching weeds here and there, but bouncing, kicking, and and stuff like that, and that that's what worked for me last year. Yeah, I mean, we could probably talk about this the whole time, Herbie. You know, and it's amazing how when we start talking on a podcast, it just kind of keeps revolving and going different directions. But I really, really wanted to talk about pressured fish, and I think it's it's interesting to me. You know, I hear this all the time from tons of different anglers. Well, you don't understand. The body of waters that I fish are really, really pressured. And sometimes I, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but I almost think it's almost ego driven to think that you're fishing on a highly pressured water because you're able to catch fish on that pressured water. I, I don't know. I, I want to know in your mind what determines a pressured body of water. And I want to kind of understand what your thought process is on a pressured body of water, Herbie. I mean, you fish everywhere. And over the last couple of years, I've actually been running around the country a little bit more than I normally had. So I've gotten to see some different crazy bodies of water. And I love that. I love the exploring portion of it. But what would you consider a pressured body of water? Well, first of all, I'd like to know what the definition of what isn't pressured water. <laughs> These days, I think that's you know? a valid point. That's a valid point, Herbie. I mean, and I mean, you know, it's hard to find stuff that is impression. You know, the, the and I've been at it a long time. Okay, so have you? I I find it hard to remember, at least when things really. I mean, what's virgin water anymore? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I even Canada. You know, I mean, when you got a group of eight, 10 guys that you've been working with for 30 years. You guys talk, you show each other spots, you keep your eyeballs open. Then you got, you know, guys that from other resorts that are, even Canada, fish are, fish are seeing baits all the time. Particularly if you fish, you know, classic stuff. You know, I just, I find it almost like that's an excuse. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so many things that determine how fish react to baits, how active they are, you know, other than fishing pressure. 
definitely fishing pressure is is a factor. But I think there's many more things that people have to take into account. And, you know, like, you know, weather and and adverse weather conditions and and everything else. What fish do so quick what I'm learning, what I'm really beginning to learn in the last few years is how quickly fish change positions and where and in lakes according to I guess sometimes fishing pressure, but I think it has more to do with changing environmental conditions, whether it's a stagnant turnover time, mid-50s, whether it's a cold front that comes in and, and drops water temperatures 5 to 8 degrees. What fish are doing during adverse conditions and or changing conditions, seasonal periods, and, and how quickly they can make changes during these times from total different areas of environments in the lake is what's really amazing me. And that's keeping your eyes open, you know, not being closed-minded. You know, luckily, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have kind of a circle of guys, and one of the most is my son and I, who really, you know, share a lot of different ideas and, and keeps our eyes open and stuff, and it opens things up. It's just amazing if you, if you could just get off, you know, the – what's supposed to be and keep your eyes and ears open and your mind open what what things happen what what you can find out there you know and and i and i think those types of factors as i said how quickly a, a fish can move from open water to break lines and back during periods of moon phases or or changes in environment when they they go from being very negative to positive, and how quickly those moves and attitudes can change are are pretty amazing too. So, you know, I, what I try to do is, you know, you can make changes like you can fish after dark, but unfortunately, as a guide, I don't always have people that can do that with. Me. And it's not the same as it was 30 years ago. We used to live after dark. Now it's hard to find people that'll fish after dark with you. I don't know why. I think I've made I've made some adjustments in, in a lot of bodies of water where, you know, I think maybe fishing pressure has a factor in that I, I tend to look for fewer numbers of encounters, but fishing areas that I think the encounters put me in front of fish that are actually there to eat rather than to just exist. So, you know, I'm fishing, you know, more more humps and, and stuff that people haven't fished for years, you know. I mean, Dick used to fish stuff like that years ago, and, you know, it's kind of what got me on it, you know, years ago. But I'm, 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 I'm using it more and more all the time. The deep, deep weeds, thermoclines, and where they they meet these deeper weeds and 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 bars and stuff like that versus just getting up and pounding. Um, and sometimes you got to, sometimes that's at certain seasonal periods, the fish are where people are, are everybody's fishing. And then I, I think you just got not let it bother you. I think you just got to put on your blinders, pretend you're the only one there and get out and get out there and, and, and get after them because, you know, if a fish is hunting, it will bite. I don't care how many baits it's seen. If it's actually hunting, it's going to bite. You know, it's being 
in the right place at the right time when they're hunting because they don't hunt all day every day, <laughs> you know? If that makes any yeah, sense. I think that, that makes a, a good point. You're right. They're not eating all day. I mean, no different than us. We're not eating all day, right? So there's windows, and those windows, they might correlate with moons and majors and minors, whatever. But at the end of the day, it might not coordinate with any of that, right? You're looking for that active fish. There's multiple ways to combat that, I would say. I know some people, their style is this run and gun, run and gun. Burn the page as fast as they can because they're just looking for that one active fish. My take on some of that is different, and and the reason it's different is I truly believe that most of these monkeys spend 90% of their time on the bottom. And over a period of years and all the different experiences that I've had throughout my years, slow rolling has encountered more bigger fish. And I, I truly believe that the reason that I'm moving my bait slower is I'm a little deeper in the water column. And I'm creating those fish that are maybe on the bottom to react to that bait versus something in the top one, two, three foot of the surface water. So I think back to, you know, the, the craziness, the explosion of the musky population here in Minnesota. And even throughout that whole explosion, I, if you started looking at when we were catching fish, and a lot of it was correlating with the moon at that time, I believe that a lot of those fish were possibly in the open water or they were glued to the bottom. And then you'd get three days at the beginning of the month and, and maybe another two to four days some other time during the month. And it, again, I said it correlated with the moon a lot of times. And that's when we would get to play with some big fish. So out of 30 days in a month, you would get seven, maybe eight days of, of playing with big, true giant fish, right? So, but a lot of that was just moving my bait really slow so I was getting more depth. Have you ever seen that or noticed that in your, you know, your years of fishing, Herbie? Then that goes to trolling too. I mean, I know you do a lot of trolling. I'll catch more fish, I feel, at the in a season if I troll fast. But I catch way more of my bigger fish. Most of all my bigger fish have been on the slower side of what I hear people talking about. You know, more in that three to three five, maybe up to three eight versus four five 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 guys talking seven miles an hour and shit. You know, I I I just don't do well with big fish under those types of high speeds, and that's and that's trolling. Same way when it comes to casting. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's been deadly for me the last two years, and I have to thank you, and that is that spinner bait that you make. Not you know the, the the heavy one with the double with the single pen on it. Oh my God, the hurricane! Not the hurricane, just the the the, the smaller heavy one. Oh, the the two and a half ounce psycho, or are yeah. we talking the here? Yeah, no, the psycho. That bait, that bait for me, slow rolling. With, and I take the ten off and put a nine just so I get a little bit different depth, a little bit more easy depth out of it but i still get a good thump out of it and and that bait for me when everybody's burning blades has been deadly for me and it's been a particularly great night bait for me you know you know another thing is 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 going back to basics you know a lot of 
you know, and I hate to take, because I don't want to take away anything from bait sales and everything else, because, you know, show colors and new baits and everything are what fuel that for everybody. Everybody's got to make a living. But, I'm, you know, more and more, I'm starting to revert back to baits that were really, really good to me 25 and 30 years ago. Like the last couple of years, you know, I mean, you know, let's face it, rubber has been just exploding like crazy. And, and the, you know, the future and innovation of, of you know, near natural life-like baits is obviously so easy, much easier to obtain in the in the rubber world. That's where a lot of things are going. But the last couple of years, man, the fishing stuff, I go to the first rubber bait that I ever, ever knew about or ever used, and that was the Big Joe. <laughs> I catch fish when nothing else fails with that, when everything else is failing with that bait. And for for about ten years, it sat in the bottom of my in my buckets in my garage because of all the other stuff that was coming out, you know. And and you know, so you know, there's something about you know using and going to what has always worked because it works for a reason. You know what I'm saying? And you know, so I've been doing a lot. I'm doing more of that too. Looking back on baits that most of the fish that are alive now, you know they didn't see those baits <laughs> you know so that 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 bait's been an awesome bait for me in the last couple of years on your spinner bait too i've been doing a lot of slow rolling on third third and fourth bait too you know deeper slow rolling jack bird style bringing it up fast from the bottom up to the boat at the end of the retrieve agonizingly slow crawling it sometimes has been very effective for me well, that kind of correlates back to why we banged the grenade, right? And if you watch Mayhem since I was in cast at all, both the Mojo, the Big Joe, we caught a bunch of fish on them. You know, that bait's really a special bait in the sense that you can jig it, you can cast it and retrieve it, you can pop it, you can do whatever you want with it. And it's heavy and it's going to get down there and it's got some cool tail action. Definitely a bait that works really well. The grenade is kind of the same thing. You know, after dark, man, I can't tell you. I mean, I was always a double cowgirl guy after dark. But the last couple of years, the grenade has just its blown my mind at how great it is after dark. And I think a lot of that is, again, you're slow rolling it. It's coming off that brake line, that secondary brake like we've been talking about. And as it's coming down, it's going to follow the contour of the lake at a, at a moderate to slow speed. And you're right. You know, you said Jack Burns bringing it fast back up to the boat. Now after dark, I'm not going to burn it in fast, but it's amazing how many fish are eating right at your feet because of that, you know, that, that bait's now going vertically back up to the boat and it's usually getting eaten before you even get into your elk. So definitely some things to think about. Talking about grenades that, that, I think it was one of the first big Harry's, big Harry ones you made. I think you gave it to me about a, had it made, I had you make it about a year ago to use the heavy head on the smaller body, but with the long flowing hair, kind of put the, it kind of put the, it kind of put along with the tensile, so kind of put the bait into a mid range between the big, the big one and the small one. And, and, and I had, I had some slightly larger Colorado's that I put on, not nines. They were, just slightly bigger than than what I, there was something I had just laying around and I put them on and you, that bait was deadly after dark also but that heavy head going back to that heavy head to where you know I I could you know 
actually let it work on its way down and then crawl it crawl it back you know it was it was an excellent bait for me so you know what kind of structures are we looking at on pressured waters for me i have some opinions and some ideas of different things that i've done throughout the years and you know there's always those primary spots that everybody's fishing right they they just beat the crap out of them continually and it's so amazing to me over the years you know if you start a little earlier than the normal anglers starting or you finish a little bit past that spot on the spot spot a lot of times that's where i'm finding my active fish what are some other areas or or thoughts on where you would approach these spots yourself what was really funny for example is i got to fish with doug wagner on on eagle lake him and jesse booked me a year ago and of course, he'd been, you know, fishing with guys that I'd fished with for years there, and they were giving him all the spots and 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 things like that. And he's a good angler too, but and and can read stuff. But a lot of people on on on, on those types of body of waters that have a lot of what I call target spots. You know, it's stuff that you you visually target, they got rocks sticking out and you figure that, you know, you know, there's a point sticking off of it or, or weed lines and, and bars and stuff like that. Well, they're, 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 they're power fishing. They're power fishing. They, they hit, they, they burn a lot of gas and they fish really fast and it works. Okay. Over time, you're going to catch your fish. But what amazed him when I fished with him was how I started way before and finished way after spots that he fished with other people on the lake. And except under prime moon rises and sets and stuff like that, we caught way more fish extending our spots and beginning our spots way before. And and that's what amazed him. You know what I mean? These fish, that's what I was getting to alluding to before. Not just in and out, but down and back they they move off these spots and then move up onto the prime ambush spots very quickly and 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 very for short periods of time not not only just moons but daylight and darkness times and after dark you know so i i think i think it's rather than get caught up on and there's always spots on the spots and those are the spots to be on when you can have those spots to yourself at prime times. But what, it, there's only so much prime time in a day. It's not for, it's not a very high percentage. And and these these fish don't want to get beat. You know, some of these spots might get hit ten, 10 times a day by very, very experienced and good fishermen who know the water. They don't really want to put up with that, you know. So... You know, but they they know the prime ambush spot where they want to be when it comes time to to actually feed. So they slide down the structure, particularly particularly how we've talked before in the past when when you get a wind that cuts a point just right and the wind goes down the side. They'll, that that even exaggerates it even more down the shoreline from those key spots. And and so extending the spots farther, starting them earlier starting them out deeper and coming up shallow, things like that, I think are very key when it comes to targeting fish on, on water you feel is somewhat pressured. Also, you know, I, I like I said before, I, I really try and think about where a fish hangs out, where they rest, 
and where they actually go to eat, you know, and, and where, where, what are they eating? And everybody, what, what works on one lake may not work on the next because of different forage bases and different makeups and everything. But it's not too hard to figure out when you watch people that are catching other species of fish, you know, and, and watch your locators and stuff. And, and so, like I said before, I, I'd be spending a lot more time when, when I, especially on your major moon phases, you know, full moons and new moons, you, there's always way more people fishing and they're all fishing the prime stuff on you. Sometimes it can get frustrating. So particularly during those times, I try to spend more time, like I said, I'm countering fewer fish per day, but way more bites per fish encountered by fishing where I feel the fish are actually feeding. And it goes back to what you're saying. Normally, it's usually deeper on the deeper side of things or over structure that's around deeper water than a lot of musky fishermen tend to fish. Well, you touched on a couple different things there, Kirby. And, and one of them that I'd like to talk about is boat control. And when you approach a spot, and I agree with you, you know, as you come into a spot, everybody's running at, say, at 10 foot and they're casting up the four. Or maybe they're running at 15 foot and casting the eight. A lot of times, just that overpressure on a particular spot, you might have to position your boat in 25 feet of water and come in there that way. And I think boat control can be a large key to, to catching more fish when you are on pressured spots or pressured waters. Oh, for sure. And, you know, my rule of thumb more and more, and it's the clearer the water more so, and obviously the grade of the structure from shallow to deep or deep to shallow makes makes a difference but my rule of thumb is is i got my reels full i got them moved i got good casting rods i want to be as far out as i possibly could be and still reach where i need to reach it just opens everything else up rather than some people that are just fishing they don't feel comfortable unless they can actually see a weed in front of their feet you know so i mean i i think i think just opening up that 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 whole secondary break and allowing you to fish like what we were talking about the slower deeper stuff in in conjunction with with the shallower stuff and 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 using using the wind you know from starting out deep and 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 going all the way up into shallow and, and making cuts instead of using your low, your trolling motor as much on and off and fighting the wind and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I think those things, I, I try slipping and, and using my trolling motor the least amount as possible on pressured waters versus going against the wind and going on and off and on and off and on and off, trying to go against the wind and up and down structure, I think is, seems to be, more more efficient for me too and and when i'm slipping the wind i seem to put baits more across the face of fish you know rather than you know in in the, when they're in position to not see your bait is good you know so i think there's a lot of different ways when it comes to boat control that can make a huge difference on pressured water and also you know we can go into talking about live scope and what it does to fish. We can go to talk about electronics and everything else. But I wrote an article over 25 years ago about when I saw big fish on certain structures that 
you know, I knew they were 20, 25 years old and Eagle was known for that back then. And, and, you know, I just used buoys like the old days. You threw a buoy on a bar and then shut off the locator, just make cuts, drifted quiet cuts, never turn. Even once I knew where the, where the bar was because I had a buoy on, I didn't need my locator either. Caught a lot of big fish doing that, you know, and it kind of got away from me. And I'm starting to do it more now, again. So I think a lot of those things that can all add up, you know. Amazing how, you know, you talked a little bit about this throughout this whole conversation, how you're utilizing tools that you used 25, 30 years ago. And it's mind-boggling. I think as technology keeps improving and growing, you know, the different changes that we've actually gotten to, to witness over the years of our angling years, it's kind of mind-boggling because you kind of throw out all the stuff you used to do at some point based upon some of the new technology. I, I don't know. It's kind of bizarre how that works, but it's amazing how you can go back to it and actually make it work. It's like Dick Pearson. He always tells me, you know, Brad, he goes, I, I don't know how to use my electronic rock and, rock and string. I mean, that's how he wants to know his depth because that's what he's used to, right? And if you think about it and you talk to some of the really, really good anglers that are out there, they keep using some of the tools that they've always used and they're still successful with it. And I mean, I'm guilty of it. I want to learn all the new technologies. I want to know what that is. I want to understand what that is. So you throw out a lot of the old. It can give you advantages for sure. But then also at the same time, you get caught, you can get caught up in it. For instance, you know, some of your trolling motors and stuff, they got the, the lock, you know, to make your trail. So, so people get into an idea of how they're supposed to work the structure. Is that the white ray? One of my best days, my locator went out and other guys would say, I'm done for the day and go back to the dock. I had one of my best days with my locator out from 10 o'clock on. Because half the time I didn't know exactly where I was, but I knew I was in the vicinity. And that taught me a lot that I wasn't always where I was supposed to be just because I thought that's where I was supposed to be. Valid point. That's pretty cool to think about. <laughs> I, I am so anal with my boat control. I want to make sure I'm exactly where I think I need to be, right? And, and sometimes, you know, it's really windy and you all of a sudden start catching because you aren't holding the boat exactly the way you should be. So you're right on, on track with that, Ruby. There was a time that I was fished that I went up. It was during, it was one of the years that, that I was on my first years of treatment and I had COVID, I think, and I was still on treatment. So I, I had to fish all Wisconsin, but I, I came up in early September for a week with my with my buddy Meat Hook Jack Clifton, who we caught a lot of big fish together, and and I hadn't seen Danny for um, over a year because of the border closing and COVID and everything else. And so we got to fish a couple of days together. I, I mean, I, I was up there just you know just to you know get reacquainted with everybody, get back on the ego, and you know I was feeling really good again. And, and so we went out fishing. And of course, Dad, he'd been out fishing. And, you know, he was still up there. And he was, at that point, he had been diving and, and fishing a lot of the shit that I always fished, you know, because he knew he could because I was all <laughs> And, but anyway, I was running the boat and just letting him pure fish because 
the voice challenge gets to do that. And when you when you get to see him in that element, it's amazing. You know, it's really cool to see the, the pure passion and, and, and insights he's got and stuff. So I was running the boat. It was a very, very, very windy day. Extremely windy day. And some of the structures, the way the wind was laid out, there was no really drift in the night. You know, I mean, I had I had to work against the wind in some of them. And, you know, Danny was kind of mocking me, giving me like he always does, because I was doing a lot of, you know, zigging and zagging, fighting a gusty wind. You know what I'm saying? And I think we ended up catching nine or ten fish that day. And I think 350s or something was a great day. And we sat down and tried to analyze things. And he goes, you know, he says, I was mocking about your bow control, but you were zigzagging in and out. The, the angles of our baits were all different because of it. We didn't realize that's what we were doing, but then we realized afterwards that's exactly why we were having so much success is because a knife fighting the, the gusty winds half the time the boat was pointed this way, was pointed that way, was pointed where it was supposed to go, and our baits were all coming from many times different angles than those fish you were ever seeing on, on those particular structures. Yeah, that, that's an amazing point. I think we all get into that. If you're on a break line, it's that 90 degrees or maybe it's that 45 degree cast and everybody's doing that. So you set yourself apart just based off of wind. I, I've experienced that myself, Irby, and yeah. there's something to it. There's no question about it. So one of the other aspects that I heard you kind of touch on was you started talking about forage and you said utilizing some of the other multi-species anglers out on the water and seeing what they're actually doing and where they're positioned. One of the things that's come to my mind over the years, and, and I want to know your opinion on this, but this is something that my gut has told me for years. Is when it comes to speed of retrieval or it comes to speed of potentially trolling, it seems like when the forage base is down, meaning there's not as many forage, speed kind of becomes the the ticket where you need to move faster and i think some of that is is because you're drawing competition to these muskies they're hungry they need to you know the biggest fastest fish is probably going to be the one that fights now when we have a ton of forage in a body of water that's where i see slowing things down and i'm kind of interested to hear if that's something that you've noticed over the years i think it's like i mean and that could change whether it's the forage is down because of, you know, it actually is down number wise, or because, you know, I've been out on lakes that are just loaded. I mean, loaded with bait, you know, and yet it almost seems like it's a desert. You can't, you can't see hardly a bait fish anywhere, or even marked fish for that matter. And then something changes during the course of the day, and all of a sudden there's pods of bait, and, and they're tight. Which When I see bait fish pods that are tight, that tells me they're nervous, okay? When they're, when they're loose and scattered through the water column and that, it tells me that fish aren't necessarily on the feed, you know? When I, and, and then when that scenario changes, because the wind picks up or a moon phase starts coming in or the weather changes or an approaching front that's going to hit for two, three days is on its way and those fish know well before leaving, whatever is the case. 
all of a sudden you start not all of a sudden, but you know, there there it is. And you start seeing balls of bait that are tight. When I see balls of bait that are tight, I get very excited. That tells me that they're scared, that the guy in the center doesn't want to be the guy on the outside for a reason. And that's because they feel fish, predator fish, probably going to be on the feed or are nearby on the feed. And I think that makes a difference. How deep I fish, how fast I fish, and how thoroughly I fish an area. I'll fish through loose bait fish schools. When I find pods, I don't want to fish through them. I want to be around them. I don't want to break them up. Well, it's an interesting topic that you guys bring up because I don't know that we've ever talked about speed versus bait fish you know, location or amount or however you want to say it. You know, Brad, it's, it's interesting that you would have thought that if the bait fish numbers are lower, that you would have gone faster. Because I'm thinking if the bait fish numbers are lower, that would have been slower for me and faster if there was a, a whole bunch of them. Because if there's a whole bunch, you want to try to stand out, right? So speed would be the trigger. But it's interesting how you, you know, just more things to think about when you're trying to put the game together for muskies. It's, it's, it's a fascinating thing because I don't think we've ever talked about it before. Well, and it might go right back to what I was saying. If if the bait fish numbers are down, whether it's, you know, a lot of times the bait fish numbers are down, that's a, that's not a one-year deal. You know what I'm saying? If you are having problems with bait fish populations, it takes, then, then, there, then there's something serious going on. I see, what I see is, like I said, concentrations of bait fish in certain parts of the lake and or not, or are they bunched up or are they scattered? Now, when, 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 fish, when bait fish are really scattered and, and not, near, not near as bunched up or in, in existence as it seems like you'd like to, them to be, that to me is when I want to fish deeper and slower because it tells me that more fish are probably on the inactive stage. Whereas when bait fish is up higher, bunched up, you're marking big fish here or there, or marking stuff here or there, whether you're using, you know, whether you're using scans or whether you're using sign imaging or whether you're just using 2D, it don't matter. You're going to, you know, it matters, but I mean, whether you mark them, how you mark them. Because when they aren't active, you don't seem to mark fish very well at all, right? When they are active, you tend to be more apt to mark fish whether it's bait fish and or predators. So I tend to fish deeper and slower when the, when the bait fish are non-existent. And I've caught a lot of fish without bait fish being around. If I just fished the only one and got excited when I saw lots of bait fish, I wouldn't have caught a lot of the big fish I have. There's something to be said about when there's not a lot of bait fish around in the encounter, fish, the odds of them biting your bait too. You know what I mean? So... You can kind of look at it a number of different ways, but when when the when the bait is up high and and bunched up, then I tend to you know work a little bit faster because I can because the bait's up, you know. And if and if the bait fish is scattered low, I tend to fish my bait slower and rolling more, you know. That's just what I've been playing with a lot in the last few years. Yeah, I think I, where my premise was on that, Herbie, was more so the competitiveness, who's going to eat that bait. So if your forage base is down, meaning as a general rule across the whole body of water, when you don't have a ton of bait fish, 
that's where I generally try to speed things up a little bit. I agree with what you said completely. But what I'm getting at is, you know how cycles of perch or cycles of tulabies and blah, 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 right? We could go on forever. But, but when I look back and I, I think about some of the walleye fishing that I did, you know, 30 some years ago as well, I, I did that quite a bit. And like Malax is a prime example. All of a sudden there would be this bomb where there was no bait fish and, and we were catching these long 30, 33 inch walleyes that were just like skin and bones. And the faster you'd go, the bigger the fish would be that you were catching. And I think it was based upon they could move quicker or there was more competition to try to eat something when they had the opportunity to eat. And that's what I, I was trying to talk about. I so I, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you 100%. You know, I love that. You, you brought something up that's a valid point and Jeff kind of highlighted that as well in the sense that when those bait fish are all scattered like they are, you're right. They're comfortable, right? And and you know the difference. And a lot of times on your electronics, you'll see the bigger bait fish. You know, let's talk Cisco's for a second. So the bigger Cisco's are not balled up like the small ones are, right? I mean, you, you can notice that right on your your electronics every time. But I, it, it's kind of, I like where you went with that. I, I wasn't what I was thinking, but I think it was a good point. All right, Herbie, just like that, as always, an hour goes flying by, and we want to thank you for your wisdom as per usual, and Brad, you know, Brad kind of blew my mind talking about bait fish and speed. I never really actually put the correlation together, so that's pretty cool. You know, Herbie, if people want to jump in the boat with you again this season, how do they go about doing that? Just go online and and look up steveherbeckfishing.com or or, uh, Facebook Steve Herbeck, and you can message me either way, and I'm always, I'm, if if you don't get me, I'm never more than 15, 20 minutes away from getting back to you. And usually I answer the phone by the second or third game. So I'm easy enough to get a hold of. And, and anybody that has fished me before, or if you haven't had the chance to get in the boat with me, uh, it's, I'd, love to, I'd love to spend the day with you. And don't be afraid to give me a call and talk fishing anytime. All right. Well, once again, Herbie, thank you very much for your wisdom. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in for another episode. And we will be back with another one again next week, Wednesday.